guys. Hey, welcome back. Welcome to another podcast. We are uh, getting better every week and I'm pretty excited for this week's topic. What is this week's topic? Hear that? That's tequila. <laughs> tequila. Uh, this week's topic is question and answers from our listeners. From the fans. Pretty exciting. I'm not going to lie. You guys had some really good questions. But we'll start where we always start. Eric, what are you drinking? Whiskey directly out of a flask. Directly out of a flask. It's uh, Sonoma rye aged in cherry barrels. It's pretty good. It smells really peppery. Tastes pretty peppery. I feel like whiskey is like the red wine of alcohol. Like deep and hearty. Like if you were to compare wines and yeah. liquors. Aged in barrels. I feel like whiskey's <laughs> like a cab. It's like deep and peppery mm. and puts some hair on your chest. And it burns all the way down. I am drinking a tequila soda. Tastes like a margarita. It's delicious. And yeah. We need to get some more of that Copa de Anejo tequila that our friends told us about. Because that stuff was like candy in your mouth. What are you talking about? The stuff that Tracy had us try. Yeah, that was good. It's only like kind of 60 getting... bucks a bottle. I just kind of started getting into tequila, and um, I actually really enjoy it. So normally I would cover it up with like a bunch of sweetener or in a margarita with a bunch of lime, but um, I'm just doing it with some like soda water and a little splash of triple sec. It's really good. And our friends had us try one um, a while ago that was drinkable without anything added. Like you could just sip on it plain, and it was really good. It was the best tequila I've ever had in my life. It was bomb. Cava de Anejo was really good bomb um what was the best part of your week i mean it's only been it's only monday it's only monday well the baby slept good today yeah she wasn't super fussy all day so i was able to have a good monday i am on my two weeks paternity right now and it's a good start to the week how about you um, I made the most that I've made doing DoorDash this past week. Oh. They pay you out weekly, which is really nice. And it was my highest week so far. I did it on Saturday, and then I did it on Valentine's Day. And those two days combined were just really good for, for tips. So I ended up closing out the week at $335. And that's just doing it as like a hobby, because I still have like a regular job. Wow, mama's buying dinner. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe some tequila. Not dinner. Hey, tequila's good. And then my other high would probably be tonight I was putting Olivia to sleep and she fell asleep on me in the rock in the rocking chair. And it was really sweet. She hasn't fallen asleep like that on me in so long. Sometimes she'll fall asleep on the boob while she's eating, but she hasn't just fallen asleep like on me since she was probably two months old. So that was really sweet. I just cuddled her for like an hour. What was uh, the worst part of your week? I don't know. You don't know? No. What about when I accidentally scratched your tattoo that was healing? Uh, that was, I mean, it hurt, <laughs> but yeah, I guess I got a new tattoo. It's dedicated to the baby. We talked about it in last week's episode, you dweeb. I got a new tattoo two weeks ago and we talked about it last week. <laughs> Anyways, it's still healing. It itches and kind of hurts a little bit still. 
and the wifey scratched it with her ring the other day. Yeah, that was a big whoopsie. Um, but yeah, I'm, nothing's really... You know why you're having such a good week and don't have any negatives? It's because you're not working right now. Very true. You've had two weeks off. Very true. Nothing can be that bad when you have two weeks off. I get to sleep in until 8 a.m. Yeah. I can stay up late if I want. Yeah. I can eat whatever I want-ish. Yeah. <laughs> not shower, let your beard grow out, just go full caveman. Pretty much. <laughs> yep. Uh, my worst part of the week was my neck and back have been all messed up. I think it's from going on a run. Um, last week I tried running and it's been a while. It's honestly, I haven't ran really since our hundred mile challenge in like November, December. Um, and that was painful. So I just kind of like, I think it compressed my neck weird. I don't know. I went to the chiropractor and tried to get them to help me. It's just been painful. I was having a hard time even lifting my arm up, like past my shoulder, because it was just super tweaked. So that's not fun. I feel like honestly 90% of it's from holding the baby or from leaning over while I'm breastfeeding. And I know I always say that, but it's painful. I think I need to piggyback on what you just said, because I've had a rib that's been out for two weeks now. And even after getting adjusted, it didn't do a damn thing. That sucks. So yeah, that's the low. Yeah. Are you feeling any better after your adjustment? We are officially old. You're not even 30 yet. I feel like my low is always like, my back hurts again. (laughs) (laughs) Give me a foot rub. Wait, what? What's wrong? Nothing. That's just what else else you always say. My back hurts. Give me a foot rub. (laughs) Well, yeah. I should get that tattooed on me. You should. Put on my gravestone. When you take your socks off, it just says, give me a foot rub. <laughs> this is right on my grave. Can I have a foot rub? Well. So we have some questions from you guys, and... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's cheers to the fans for providing us with these questions. That's really <laughs> weird. Metal and glass sounds a little goofy. All right, oh, there we okay. go. Um, and one of you did a couple really good questions. You know who you are. Thank you for contributing. Number one fan. We are excited to talk. It's everything from sex to baby to personal stuff to funny stuff. And it's going to be a good Q&A. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Let's go. Okay. First <laughs> question. What is your best memory? Now, how are we going to answer this? Is this best memory as a couple or best memory in life? when you either like when you think of the question what's the first thing that comes to mind what's your best memory the first thing that comes to mind is when we were on our one year anniversary and we played our wedding song and danced in a pergola in san diego under the stars that is so funny that you said that because the first one that came to my mind was also our one year anniversary trip weird at uh bali high we went to this restaurant in san diego right on the water overlooking downtown san diego on a little island the restaurant is like up on stilts and it has 360 degree windows it's gorgeous we went to dinner there it was like the best night of my life it was so romantic i felt really cute we were super in love the views were awesome it was like night three of our vacation so we were in full relaxation mode and it was just like amazing (sighs) one of my happiest memories we're totally going back we actually already started planning a san diego trip with my whole family 
for this summer. Um, hopefully COVID will be better by then. Not gone, obviously, but a little bit better. And we want to rent a house on the beach with my whole family. And I'm so excited. We found so many amazing houses on Airbnb that have like six bedrooms and are right on the beach, right by like um, Mission Beach and like the roller coasters. And oh, my heart. I'm so excited. I can't wait. I think we're going to go in July. I can't wait either. It's going to be very nice. So you'll have to do a redo kind of of our anniversary trip because we're going for our anniversary and just bringing a whole family this year. Well, That's it'll, it'll be a nice mix. We can do some stuff but on our own and we can do some stuff with them. We'll have to do like our favorite San Diego things. Like we could go back to Bali High. We could do another dinner cruise. We love the dinner cruises through San Diego Bay Harbor. We on did the it. Hornblower. Because we went to San Diego for our honeymoon, and that's what we did on our honeymoon. We did it when we went back for our one-year anniversary, and we haven't been back since. So, <sighs> you know how during COVID, you have, like, those memories that you go to that make you happy when you're just feeling like shit, or, like, you just are sick of looking at your four walls? Yes. Mine is, like, trips to San Diego. I just have to remind myself that there's life outside of Rockland, outside of my house, much less what what are you doing i'm trying to get comfortable for podcasting and so yes i'm on all fours <laughs> all right <laughs> well memories are both in san diego that's nice it's my favorite place they have the best tacos the best breweries the best beaches and the best vibes i also really liked on our anniversary when we did the cruise and i bought the extra package and you were crying because we got, like, these special champagne flutes, and we were the only ones with the white tablecloth, and it was just, like, Yeah, that was cute. Special. On our honeymoon, he did the upgraded package, and we had the best dinner cruise ever. Love it. Love it. Love it. I hope that you guys have some fun memories, too, and that during your COVID sadness, we call it COVID depression around here, you have something to reflect back on that says, hell yeah, my life is awesome. And it will be coming back soon. It's coming back, honeys. Um, and if I keep door dashing, we're going to get to like go all out in San Diego. We door could, we could be really millionaires cool because you, what? <laughs> I don't think I could ever deliver that many tacos, but, um, DoorDash is so cool because when you want to save up for something or you need some extra money or there's something that you just have been wanting, but hasn't been like a priority, you can use DoorDash money because it's not like it comes out of your normal paycheck. It's kind of just like an extra bonus. And it's cool because you can do it as much or as little as you want. Last week, I only did $30 worth. I went out one night for like two hours. And this week, I did like over 300 So it's just so cool to have like a secondary income to save up for trips or buy yourself a cute pair of shoes or whatever you want. Get your tires changed on your car, you know? How was dashing last night for you? On Valentine's Day? It was fine. You don't want to tell everybody about the $8 bonus that we got? It was really cool. If if things are busy in your area, they add like an extra certain amount of dollars to every trip that you do, every order. And the highest we've ever seen on like a Saturday night when it's really busy is $4 extra, which is super cool because it makes, it, you just make more money. But so I was actually telling Eric, I was like, I wonder what the highest like bonus that you can ever get on DoorDash is because we'd only seen $4 and it got up to $7. So that was really cool. Pretty crazy. So that's $7 on top of every order. So pretty much everything we got was $18. Between $15 and $20 for one order, which takes about 20 minutes to do total. Yep. So it was really Very cool. Very nice. It was really cool. Um, what's our next question, Eric? Would you rather not shower for a week or not brush your teeth 
for a week. Ew. <sighs> Would I rather not shower for a week or not I think this one's brush pretty my easy. teeth? Really? I would say not shower. Yeah. Yeah. Women only shower every three days anyways to take care of their hair, so. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would just use, like, baby wipes on my pits. Yeah, or just put on deodorant. Like, you can mask that smell. Don't work out for a week so you don't smell like crap. Yeah. But as far as your teeth, like, teeth get disgusting and they feel nasty and they're all grimy and your breath stinks and you can get cavities. The risk is a lot higher there. <laughs> the risk. I'm very protective over my teeth. I had a lot of cavities growing up as a kid, and I've had so much dental work done that I am so neurotic now about my teeth because I'm trying to keep as many little morsels of natural tooth as I can. So morsels. <laughs> I floss every night, sometimes twice, because I have like a water flosser and then actual floss. So sometimes I do both. Sometimes I just do one, and then I brush my teeth every morning and every night. It's a whole thing. And I just bought mouthwash, you guys. Okay, you guys are probably going to be like, um, ew, obviously, because everyone uses mouthwash. I don't. I don't either. I never have. I was at Target, and I was like, I'm going to buy mouthwash to up my mouth game, to up my tooth game. So I got this, like, natural mouthwash that has, like, eucalyptus and thyme and some other shit in it that's natural. Why don't you just go down the street and chew on some eucalyptus leaves? Okay, that's We also have time weird. in the yard. I'm pretty sure eucalyptus is poisonous for you, but I'm just trusting that Listerine Naturals knows what they're doing. Ooh, Listerine. Um, wait, what Hold are, on. are we... Hold on, I'm really curious if anybody listening would do the teeth. Not yeah. brushing your teeth. That's gross, but sure. Tell us. And I want to know why. We won't judge you. We will secretly, but we won't. Have we ever gotten feedback yet? When, when I, I feel like every episode, I'm like, <laughs> I want someone to tell us something. No, because they're probably like me, where you think it in your mind and you answer the question and then you go along with your life. And then you listen to the rest of the podcast and forget. I yep. get it. I get it. I do. I understand. All right. What's the next question? Best communication advice for couples that argue rather than settle. <sighs> That's a really good question. I have been there. I just want to say that. I have been there. I think at the core, when you're arguing and you don't want to settle, it's because you want to be right and you want to be acknowledged and you want your voice to be heard. And that's a really hard thing to give up. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this one? I think the best thing to do is if everything's really heated like that, to both walk away for five minutes and come back together. Or 20 minutes. And in that five minutes that you walk away from him, write a list of every reason you hate him and every reason you're right, and then come back prepared. (laughs) Not at all. What the hell? That is horrible advice. That's why you always lose arguments. I win every time, Eric. It's what I'm proud of. Okay, guys. Okay, ladies. Shh, Eric, close your ears. Ladies, I have a secret for you. This is how you become supreme in your marriage. I got to a point a long time ago where I said to myself, I hate apologizing. Yes, I am proud. I admit it. I don't want to apologize. I don't want to tell you I was wrong. So what I did is I tried to never be wrong or never freak out in an argument. So instead of going off the handle and calling him a dick and freaking out and then having to go back and saying sorry because I have a conscience, I handle it very well and I stay very calm And I try to be the most right person in the argument so that I don't have to apologize. So there you go. Yeah. And I think just speaking truth, it's not about 
name calling. It's not about arguing. It's not about any of that. It's you need to find common ground. And I would say my most my my best actual advice for you would be that instead of treating it like an argument where there's a winner and a loser, to try to come at it vulnerably with what you are trying to express, how you feel what you're thinking, what's on your heart and mind, how the person made you feel, instead of coming at it combatively where there's like like tennis, like back and forth, like an argument where someone has to win, to actually like put your tennis rackets down, if we're going to go with this analogy, and just say, I'm feeling X, Y, Z. I really don't like when you do that because it makes me this. Um, or... I'm feeling really competitive right now. I want to win this argument, and I don't think that's healthy. So can I just tell you that you made me feel scared, angry, pissed? Coming at it in more of a, like, vulnerability is always the answer, honestly. Um, and when you're fighting, sometimes you want to put your guard up, and, you, like, you put your, your uh, armor on, um, especially if you start to not feel safe in the relationship, safe in the argument, safe in the moment. You, you kind of like guard yourself up where you're like, let's fight. I got this. Um, and the best thing you can do is to take the armor off and to actually get more vulnerable when you want, when, when your mind and your heart is telling you to not be vulnerable and to just fight and to put your armor on, that's actually like the time when it's most important to be the most vulnerable. And to say, like, I had a really hard day and I felt really triggered and I just really need your love right now. That will not lead to uh, an argument. Hopefully not. Yeah. I, I does think that make sense? It does. Um, yeah, explaining where you're coming from. And the other person might not know how hard of a day you've had or, like, where you're coming from or if there's scars from your past or something like that, that you're... They can't, that, like, jump in your brain and know exactly. what's going on. Um, That's a good point, babe. When you were talking, I was kind of thinking back on when we first got together and we would have arguments, but they wouldn't get solved because we didn't know where the other person was coming from. And I think something that's helped us not have as many arguments, because we really don't argue a lot, um, is I statements rather than you statements. Mm-hmm. So instead of going into an argument and say you didn't load the dishwasher mm-hmm. you can say hey i was kind of hurt that you didn't help with the dishes when i had a long day at work or, or something along yeah, those lines yeah i think lines, one of right? the biggest reasons why we don't fight is because it's very like we take responsibility for how we're feeling what we're feeling where it's coming from and then we just communicate that to the other person so it never really feels like an attack um and that has been really helpful yep good job babe you can read the next one uh, next question. Your writing isn't. Your writing what is your favorite beer or wine? Oh, yeah. Okay. And do you pump and dump after drinking? What is your favorite beer or wine? And do you pump and dump after drinking? I'm going to take a note out of one of my very best friend's book right now. And he always says that his favorite beer is a cold one. <laughs> Who says that? And I would agree. Take a wild guess. Tracy? Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, yeah, Eric's not very picky. You like IPAs, though. That's your favorite. I do. It, it depends on the mood. IPAs are good. Stouts are good. Every once in a while, you just need a nice, boring Coors Light, and they taste amazing. So, but in the question, would you say that beer is your favorite? Yeah. Bourbon's pretty good, too, but... <laughs> I like beer because you can have five or six of them and still be coherent. Yeah. 
Um, my favorite drink forever for the last like five years was wine, Chardonnay specifically. But I started having these annoying allergies to alcohol. Um, to When I started having histamine intolerance last year, one of the things that's really high in histamine is beer and wine because they're fermented. <clears throat> and so every time I have them recently, I get like a rash and like um, my face gets really red and it gets hard to breathe. So my body kind of has an allergic reaction to Chardonnay, which is honestly devastating. I try not to think about it too much because it's one of the most depressing things ever that the joy of my life could be taken away. I'm being very dramatic here, but just so you know, I really loved Chardonnay and we are no more. Um, so I've been getting into clear alcohols because they don't have histamine, um, as much histamine. So like vodka and tequila, uh, they don't make me feel as bad. So that's what I've been doing lately. I've really been really into tequila with like some fresh lime. Ooh, we had friends over, um, for the first, okay, first of all, we had friends over the, for the first time in about a year, which is crazy. They quarantine as well because they have a little girl, a little babe. Um, and so we're like, hey, we trust each other. Why don't you guys come over for a night? Because we're just going stir crazy after a year of not having any barbecues and family dinners and people over. So it was so fun. They came over. We barbecued. We had margaritas. We looked through old baby clothes. Like it was just it was such a fun night. Um, but I wanted to make like a homemade margarita bar for everyone. So we had tequila. I made a homemade strawberry simple syrup. And then I fresh squeezed a bunch of limes and oranges, and it was so good. It was like, it was just really fresh and delicious. It was bomb. Yeah, it was really good. So I've been experimenting with margaritas and vodka. Um, oh, the second part of the question do I pump and dump? No, I do not because I never get like hammered. Um, Normally it's just one drink and everything. Since she's been born, I've only had one uh, drink max, like two. The other night I had three, but she was asleep. Um, and what was really interesting is I looked up some articles on it, and I have a lactation consultant, and basically, like, it's really not that bad for your baby. They get very, very little alcohol. The real problem is if you are so intoxicated that you can't safely hold or carry your baby, that's more of a risk than the alcohol content of your breast milk because very little of it gets to the baby. Very little of it is absorbed by the baby. And this is like backed up by scientific articles that even if you have three drinks in one hour, the article said, um, if the, if you breastfeed the baby after having three drinks in an hour, the baby's alcohol con blood level was like 0. 0.00008. So it's not really an issue. So no, I don't pump and dump. I actually don't pump a lot. I like exclusively breastfeed. Um, and there hasn't really been a ton of a reason to pump milk because I'm always just feeding her and I'm not really away from her. So I don't really have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She has started taking a bottle. So you pump a little bit, but not, that's not like her main source of food. Yeah. Totes. Okay. Next question. Next Bebe? question. Why did you leave Mercy Multiplied? <laughs> I'll leave this one for you to answer. <laughs> guys let me count the ways um so we're just gonna get into it I guess they can't really sue me I don't work for them anymore so I worked at a place called Mercy Multiplied it was a recovery home for women with life controlling issues 
um, drugs, alcohol, most of the time I was eating disorders that was more prevalent and I was their nutrition, food, and kitchen manager. So I ran the kitchen for like 20 to 30 people. I ran the home in terms of food and I did food counseling with all the girls who had eating disorders. Um, so it was a crazy job. I got it right out of college. I actually still was in college when I got the job and I was juggling both my last semester of college and this new grown up big kid job for like two months um, before I graduated. So that was a little crazy. And we bought our new house in the same time frame. And when and you moved. got that, it was like perfect. Like we were thinking it was too good to be true. Like yeah. it was Christianity and what you it went was to pretty cool. For. I have a I have a ministry background and I went to school for nutrition. So it was a Christian recovery home where I would be doing nutrition. So I thought it would be ideal, but um the longer that I worked there, the more flaws I saw in the system. And um I I don't even know where to get started with this cuz it's such a long story, but I had really bad anxiety during that season of my life. Part of it was life transition, graduating college and just processing, oh my gosh, I'm out of school. I'm an adult. What does my life look like now? Part of it was that we moved um, like two cities away from where we had been living. We bought our first house. It was very overwhelming. It was like a total fixer upper. All of this happened while I was still in college in April and I was trying to graduate in May. Um, it was just a really stressful season of life and I started developing, um, like panic attacks pretty often, pretty frequently. I've struggled with anxiety on and off my whole life. Some seasons it's barely there. Some seasons, if I'm really high stress, I can feel it a lot more, but this was the first time in my life that I ever started having full blown panic attacks. Um, sometimes like five a day, like just, it was absolutely insane. And I think, a lot of it was that I just felt very disembodied. I felt very separated from my true self. I felt like I was in fight or flight constantly. I felt like I couldn't get a handle and a grip on the changes that were happening around me. And around the same time when I got my job at Mercy, they told me, hey, we're going to hire you, but we have to send you to Nashville to train for your job position. And I started freaking out because I hate planes. I hate flying. I actually have a, a lot of anxiety around flying. But what are you going to do? It's for a job. So I actually brought Eric with. He paid his own way and we kind of turned into like a little trip. But I had such bad anxiety on the plane there and on the plane ride back. We had really bad turbulence, a really rough flight. Um, I'm going to train for some job that I don't even really know if I want in some weird state. It was just, there. Was, it was just a lot. It was really overwhelming. And um, when I got back from that trip is when the panic attack started. I think I felt really overwhelmed. And to be completely honest, it might sound silly, but trauma is a really real thing. And PTSD is a very real thing. And it can develop from all types of things. People can have PTSD from a bad relationship, an abusive relationship. What we hear about all the time is the military, but you can have PTSD from anything. And um, PTSD is said, you know, the definition is anytime that you think your life is in danger or you're unsure about your future safety. And the plane ride there and back, having to put myself through that when I already was afraid of planes and then having such a bad experience where I legitimately did at one point on our way home think that we were going to die and there was crazy turbulence and like where people were like hitting their head on top of the airplane and um 
knowing that the only way that I could get home from Nashville to California was to take a plane. And it's not like we can just be like, this is crazy, let's drive. So knowing that I had to do it, knowing that I couldn't get off, knowing that we might die, just feeling very vulnerable, doing something that like it was, it's just a big fear for me and being forced into it really did create some trauma. So when we got home, um, I didn't really realize it, but I definitely was dealing with some like post-traumatic stress and any time from that point forward that I would be in a situation where I was even like mildly stuck or trapped, I would totally have a full-blown meltdown panic attack. So if I was like in traffic and I was driving um, and I was in the middle lane of traffic and there was like cars on either side, full-blown meltdown. Um, if I was in the grocery store and I was in the checkout line and there was someone in front of me and someone behind me, full-blown panic attack. Like, just, it was really bad, and I don't think I understood fully where it was coming from. But anyway, so I'm trying to manage this job and having, like, a ton of anxiety and panic in my real, actual life, trying to keep it together and be professional for the girls and the residents. And I was, I mean, I knew that I was making a difference. It's, it's a super cool job in that you get to work with people who are at their lowest and genuinely see them recover and change and find hope and getting to share like my knowledge of food and my love for food with people who are genuinely like afraid of food or had a dysfunctional relationship with food. It was super rewarding. It was a super cool job, but it was very overwhelming every day to walk into a home Uh, 15 to 30 girls who are very broken and be responsible for helping them to heal when I was just out of college and didn't really know what I was doing. I knew about nutrition, but I never worked with people with eating disorders. That's like a whole nother, that's like a whole nother sector of it's more counseling based than food based. And all of a sudden I found myself trying to be a counselor to people and things that I just felt totally like up to my eyeballs with. It was really stressful. So, um, yeah, I was, I was trying to hide that I was having anxiety and panic. Um, well, I think at that time, too, you didn't necessarily feel supported by the ones around you. Um, with You felt like you weren't allowed to struggle with anything and yeah. that you had to be perfect, even though you felt, how can I help these girls to progress in their lives when I feel like I'm still struggling with stuff, too? And there was this, like stimulus that you had to be perfect stimulus stigma we were talking about stimulus yeah. checks earlier yeah no you're right so um because you're working in a recovery home with people who have debilitating depression anxiety eating disorders self-harm they kind of had this expectation on staff that they had to be perfect and that the girls are the ones who are broken. You need to be perfect. You're supposed to be better than that. The people who come here are broken, but you're not allowed to be. Um, and that was really hard to not be able to be openly vulnerable that I was struggling. Um, and so I just had panic attacks every day. I had to hide them. Sometimes I would just leave work early. Sometimes I just would sweat my way through the day. And um, they kept kind of adding more things to my plate that I just didn't feel qualified or prepared to do. And one of the things that they wanted me to do was to drive the residents around um, in one of the like 16 passenger vans. They wanted me to drive them to mall days and the gym and all around. And I just wasn't into that idea. Like I told you guys, I was really struggling with any situation that made me feel trapped. 
and being in a car with a bunch of girls being the sole responsible driver for them to get them to to point a and back to point a to point b whatever it just was super overwhelming and um haven't had a great track record with driving in the past gotten a really traumatic car accident when I was 16 with my best friend um, I was driving and we we both almost died um it was awful and so just driving people that I don't know driving a big van being stuck with them just the whole thing gave me crazy anxiety and so they ended up kind of pushing me out and they said that I couldn't work there anymore if I wasn't willing to do this which I mean, I get it. If they need someone to do a job and they can't do it, then that's your issue. But um, it was just hard not not having a workplace where they were gracious or patient or willing to work with you. It was very much a dictatorship. And um, it just wasn't a safe atmosphere. It was a, an atmosphere of judgment and condemnation. And um, it just got to be too much. So we ended up parting ways. Uh, I told them that I would stay on for an additional month to help them transition. And the shadiest part of the whole situation that I'm still frustrated about is they said that I had to lie about why I was leaving. They said that I couldn't tell any of the residents that it was because I couldn't do the job, because I had anxiety, blah, blah, blah. They said that I had to say, they gave me like a script. They told me exactly what I had to say. Um, at one of the meetings where they called all the girls together to tell them about me leaving, they wouldn't let me talk. It was my supervisor who did the talking and told them what was going on, and I just had to be silent and pretend like she was telling the truth. So that was really shitty. They um, just full-blown lied to everyone, and I think the hardest part was when I finally left... You know, I helped them transition. I was a really good sport about it. I gave them all my materials, everything that I had um, created since I'd been there, all the systems, procedures, um, everything that I had, I gave them when I left because I said, you know, good luck to the next person. But I think the hardest part was there were girls there who I had had a huge part in their journeys. Um, I had had a big role in them changing and transitioning and they were there when I left and the girls would always graduate. They'd stay there for six to 12 months and then they'd graduate and leave. And um, there were girls who wanted me to come to their graduation because they were like, hey, like you've been such a huge part of this and I love you and I graduate, you know, in a month or two months or three months and I want you to come back. And I was like, of course, like I will be there for you. But what's so awful is they blacklisted me. So after I left, um, they told me that I wasn't allowed to come on the property again, ever. And when the girls wrote me letters or invitations to their graduations, they actually filtered it and did not send them to me. Um, So I had girls who messaged me after their graduations really hurt and said, I wish you could have been there, you know, I miss you and wish you the best, and I said, what do you mean, I didn't get anything, and they're like, I wrote you letters, it's barely, it's like the notebook, I wrote you letters, every day I wrote you. <laughs> God, I feel like we're reliving a nightmare right now. And, um, I know, I'm like, ugh, it's giving me the heebie-jeebies just talking about all this, but yeah, they, they uh, never sent it to me, they didn't want me to come back, they didn't want me to tell the girls the truth, or that they had been lied to, 
they didn't want me to let the cat out of the bag, so they blacklisted me, and I was never allowed to come back for any reason, and uh, the residents weren't allowed to contact me, so it's pretty crazy. I've talked to a lot of the girls after they graduated and just kind of told them, you know, I, I care about you, I loved you, I'm so sorry, you know, that it happened this way, but... <sighs> I just have a really hard time with working for religious organizations. I've been burned like three different times now working in ministry and they just all, I'm sure that there's awesome ministry jobs, but the ones that I've had have been sketchy as hell and really shady and super not good at be letting people, let, letting humans be human and having grace for them. It's very, um, just judgmental, dictatorship, religious, fake, all that. So yeah, that's why I left Mercy. <laughs> what a story. But anyways, we're doing a lot better now. Things are in a better place. Mm-hmm. We are healed from those wounds. Um, and that's in the past. Totally. Totally. I just feel, I feel sad. I feel sad that they do things the way that they do. I feel sad that they think that that is the best way to do it. I feel sad for the staff now. Um, but I met one of my best friends who also worked there and I don't regret it. It taught me a lot. I met one of my besties and, uh, I have a good story now, I guess. <laughs> and I went to go to, I went to Nashville for free. Hey, I got the party in Nashville, so I was thankful for it. There you go. I had a great time. Last question, baby. This isn't the last question. There's more in the back. Oh, I have to pee so bad. How do you keep a positive attitude with your postpartum body changes? <laughs> Well, let me tell you, when you're on postpartum as a dad, you are trying to do everything that you possibly can to help out your wife, help out your baby, and just help everybody to be happy. So a lot of that, when you're, when you have my personality type, it's all about helping the other person. And oftentimes you forget to take care of yourself. So I would forget to eat breakfast because I'm making sure that they're fed or, you know, Olivia's put to bed at the proper time or whatever like that, right? And so I would oftentimes forget meals or just you eat what's convenient. So I'd be eating a lot of chips. I'd be eating cookies or just crap rather than cooking an actual meal. And I've noticed quite a bit of weight gain. So I have had to learn to just be okay with that. And Julia tells me that I still look hot and I got a new haircut. So I still look hot. Um, but also to just realizing after a couple of months that you need to take time to yourself, realizing that it's, it's a balance. You can help them. You can be there for them, but you also need to manage your own life and take care of yourself. So I've tried to start working out again, um, you know, three times a week or so, whether it's a run or weights or whatever it is so that I can take care of myself. And I've been feeling a lot better the last month. How about you, babe? How do you manage your postpartum body attitude? This is such a loaded question that I just had to go get some popcorn. We're going to be in this. Um, How do you keep a positive attitude postpartum? So, I mean, there's just a lot. I think that all bodies are good bodies. There is no bad body. I think that if I had had... To go through pregnancy and postpartum 10 years ago, I don't think I would have had a good have a good view on it at all. Um, but I think that the media has gone a really long way in embracing all kinds of bodies. Um, models and campaigns of people who are plus size and showing off their stretch marks and 
very bo- the body positive movement has really helped me a lot to where I just realized like every body is worthy and I just realized that this body like carried the greatest gift ever like a miracle happened here that's nothing to be ashamed of it's not like ground zero it's not some disaster site this is actually like a miracle like how people still go to like Jerusalem and go to the tomb of Jesus and you know like revel at it and take pictures and think it's the coolest thing ever and it's 2,000 years later that's how our bodies are it's cool a miracle happened here you should take pictures of it and be proud of it and own it and be so amazed with it um I think part of it was I'm more confident postpartum than I was before getting pregnant. I used to have just such struggles with wanting to look perfect all the time and wanting everyone around me to think I looked good and pretty and um, not wanting to show any flaws or any zits or any stretch marks or I don't know, I just kind of hid a lot. But being pregnant, I just realized like my body, all of it from head to toe is so awesome and so good. And like if it can grow and change and hold life... I can grow and change my mindset about my body. And I don't know. I just was like, I'm done hiding. This body is a good body. It made a baby. It's carrying a baby. It's It gives my husband like love. It holds me up every day. It does squats. It runs down the street. It, you know, my body is so capable of doing so much. And it's um, something to be proud of. But all that to say, it's not like every day I'm just walking around naked and so like full of myself. Too bad. I, <laughs> I really struggle still on days. Um, and that's where I kind of had to figure out like what makes me feel good and embracing that because there are so many days where I'm like, what the hell? Like my body is loose and it's jiggly and there's stretch marks and it doesn't look like it used to. And on those days I do stuff that makes me feel good. So, I mean, this might sound really superficial, but I love a good fake tan. I have like tanning lotion and I do it like once a week because it makes me feel really good in my body. It makes me feel better about myself. It's something that I like. I like when I look tan. I think I look awesome and I'm okay with doing that. Um, trying a new hair thing, doing my makeup different, wearing high-waisted like jeggings in a tight, top to show off my breastfeeding boobs like there's just different things that I do if I'm not feeling great about myself to kind of perk me up and remind me that like my body is still worthy of being seen I think that's a big part is like realizing that your body is worthy of being seen no matter what state it's in no one tells guys when they roll out of bed and they look gross or they're hungover they gain five pounds that they're not worthy of being seen no one even comments on their bodies no one gives a shit they're like hey how much do you earn and what's your goal for life and how much do you lift bro and do you like ipas no one's like hey eric um i noticed you have like a cellulite dimple like in your back like thigh area under your butt and i was wondering what you're gonna do about that that was a little too descriptive (laughs) (laughs) i made it up if it makes you feel better i think the biggest thing is just owning what you got yep you don't look the same as you did but you're still sexy as fuck one of my favorite quotes in regards to body confidence is from sarah's day who i started following like seven years ago And she always says, act confident and no one will question you. And I have genuinely taken that to heart and decided that it's truth. Act confident and no one's going to know any different. Act confident and people are going to admire you even if inside you're like, ugh, I don't like my legs today. Um, Confidence is so beautiful and so attractive and so sexy and so magnetic. And sometimes you just have to fake it. But 
after five or ten minutes of faking it, you start to feel it for real. So act confident and nobody's going to question you. No one has the right to tell you that your body isn't a good body. No one has the right to tell you that your body doesn't deserve to be seen. And if they do, tell them to fuck off and go put on a bathing suit and show them your stretch marks. Like, live your life, show your body, be a full human. Because at the end of your life, when you're wrinkly AF and you're in a nursing home and your eyes are failing and your hip hurts all the time, you're not going to look back on pictures of your 20, 30, 40, 50 year old self and be like, oh, I had the worst hair. Oh, I had those stretch marks. Like, oh, I had some cellulite. Who gives a shit? You are living your life and you are young and vibrant and vital and you're having sex and you're loving life and you're having drinks and you're eating your favorite foods and you're living. This is what life looks like. When I look at my body, I think to myself, this is what living looks like. And I'm fine with that. Love it. Yep. Next question. I'm kind of offended by this question. Uh Uh-oh. It says, what is your favorite meal that Julia makes? I feel like this insinuates that I don't cook. You do and cook. I'm a pretty good cook. Do you want me to answer it too? Yeah. What's your favorite meal that I, I make? You go first. Carnitas. I haven't made that in so long. I know, but they're so freaking good. Actually, I don't know. You make a lot of good shit because that chicken and waffles that you made that one time at the apartment. I also haven't made that in like five years. I know. But that was really good. Good Lord. What's something that I actually make like in the last five years that you like? Chicken, <laughs> chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets. Frozen chicken nuggets. Yeah, they're pretty good. I'm offended. <laughs> We're turning off the podcast. Bye, everybody. Have a good night. Um, you make a lot of good stuff. You make a really good meatloaf. You know, don't even keep going because I know you're not kidding. I know you actually mean <laughs> that the frozen nuggets that I grill on the stove and put barbecue sauce on are your favorite thing. So we're done. I actually don't even need those. I have one every once in a while that you make. They're pretty good. I'm not going to lie. They're like boneless wings, but like cheap and gluten free. Um, Probably one of the favorite things that you make is just... Like, you make these casseroles where you just kind of throw a bunch of random stuff in it, and they always turn out bomb. Yeah. Totes. That is the most simple answer. Throw some ketchup or some sriracha on top over a bed of rice, and it is delicious. I really love a big, like, ooey, gooey, hot, messy casserole. Oh, my God. It's my love language. Like, something like a cauliflower, rice, broccoli, cheese, or, like, a barbecue, chicken, buffalo. I don't know. Whatever it is, just throw a bunch of crap in a casserole dish, add some kind of sauce, mix it up, and bake it, and it's good. And we are so opposites in this way because when I cook, it's like, you have your steak, everything is separate and your not peas touching and your potatoes it's always all a meat individually. and a vegetable and maybe a potato and, and it's a like carb. yep separate not touching very individual which and, there's and nothing wrong with that and you eat them one by one cuz you don't like to mix flavors i mean me but anyways no i love a good mix like a fajita casserole oh it's making me hungry um what's my favorite thing that you make um uh, you make a really good steak. I don't like beef for the most part, just because I, I don't know, I just don't prefer it. And I don't like steaks. Like, I would never get a steak if we went to a restaurant. It's just not who I am. I get, like, the salmon, because I just love salmon. But Eric makes a really good steak. He barbecues it. He adds the perfect amount of seasoning. He doesn't judge me when I dip it in barbecue sauce. And <laughs> I love him for it. Well, I had to show you what good steak was, because... Earlier in our Ooh. relationship, when we didn't have a ton of money, we were eating kind of like flank steak or just not good cuts. But 
I have recently, in the last couple of years, been able to show you prime rib, ribeyes, and fillets, and those are all very tender, nice cuts of meat. The other thing that I love that you make is a, um, uh, uh, what's it called? The things with the pointers? This is the test of our marriage. The things with the pointers that are green? What is it called? I keep wanting to say asparagus. That's not it. You know, the things with the dip? Come on, Eric. Come the on. things with the pointers that steam? are green. You steam them? Broccoli? No, you Peas? put them, you steam them. You bite them with your teeth. Lobster? Lobsters artichokes? are green? Artichokes. Yeah. <laughs> Eric makes really good artichokes. I never had one until we got together, and he makes them really good. And she freaked out because I told her that you have to dip in mayonnaise. Ugh, I don't like mayonnaise. <laughs> you guys, this is like a little hot tip for you. If you ever eat, wait, what are they called again? Artichokes. Artichokes. If you ever eat artichokes... The best dip that I've ever made for an artichoke, I know traditionally you do mayo, but I made like what you would dip lobster in. So a garlic butter with lemon juice. Oh, honey. Life changing. It was really good. That was pretty good. Highly recommend. Um, all right. Last question. What do you got for me? Hit me with it. How was sex after the baby? I don't know, Eric. How was sex after the baby for you? I don't feel like it changed much. No. I don't either. Um, I mean, obviously we had to wait, what, six weeks or whatever, but, like, I don't feel a difference. There's not a difference in our connection. Like, it, it's... I was expecting the worst. A disaster zone. A war zone. I don't know. I didn't know what to expect, but... I was ready to have sex like a month after, um, and my doctor said you have to wait six weeks, so we waited, but the first time it definitely did hurt a little bit where I had um, had like a baby tear because everything down there was still kind of healing and like still newly healed, um, so it was a, a little bit painful in that regards, but it didn't feel any different. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. We just took it slow and once again communicated like we do. And... I'm not gonna lie I kind of felt like it was my first time having sex where it's like are you okay? Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. yeah I mean <laughs> nothing awkward about that though. I mean uh, Eric is a very respectful lover. <laughs> <laughs> He's embarrassed. Go make me some chicken nuggets. <laughs> uh yeah it I, it surprisingly didn't change i think that the biggest challenge to our sex life now is just not being in the mood because we're tired um traditionally i would say that we mostly had sex at the latter part of the day like at night i'm not really a morning sex person it just grosses me out i'm never in the mood for that ever i'm like whoa dude take it slow um like i haven't even put on my pants yet but no need to put them on <laughs> now it's kind of hard <laughs> because at the end of the day is when I'm the most drained the most exhausted the most empty from giving love to the baby all day so I, I wouldn't say it's like frequent at this point it's more just like um a Hail Mary every once in a while to keep our connection alive and I know it won't be like that forever and but... it's both ways too it's not like just her shooting me down or whatever it's I'm exhausted too like we have a mutual understanding that we're both just fucking tired 
And we also, like, this may be TMI, but I think it's important to talk about. We also have a mutual understanding that, like, we don't have to wait to have sex to get off. Like, we're allowed to enjoy our own sexuality alone. And we, like, talk about it. Like, hey, let's have sex this week. Hey, let's have sex within the next two days. Like, we make the conversation open so that we know what the other person's thinking. Yeah, communicating is super important and like it doesn't feel very sexy to communicate like, hey, can we have sex tonight or hey, can we have sex in the next couple days? But just being open and communicating or for me communicating to him like, hey, I am not feeling very great tonight. I'm having a really good or a really bad day, like feeling really bad about my postpartum body. I feel ugly. I feel gross. I feel exhausted. I need you to give me a day or two to like get there to be with you. And he's super understanding. And I think one of the reasons he's so gracious and understanding is because we communicate openly. But um, also something that I'm like a huge advocate of is that like your sexuality is your sexuality and you get to choose to share that, but it doesn't belong to your spouse. Eric doesn't own my sexuality. I own my sexuality and I get to choose when I want to open up and share that with him. And if, and same with him, his sexuality, his exploration of his body, his ownership of his body, his autonomy belongs to him. He does not belong to me. He shares himself with me. And so in part of that, if you want to have a healthy sexual relationship with your partner, you have to have a healthy sexual relationship with yourself. Yeah. Very true. Mic drop. So... (laughs) Explore yourself. Have fun by yourself. Be willing to look at your naked body. So many of us don't even like actually look at our body. We like rush to get dressed and to not see ourselves in a mirror. Look at your body. Touch yourself. What feels good? What feels bad? Because if you have that powerful like ownership of yourself and your sexuality, it's going to be a lot easier to meet your partner there and to share that with them and to have a healthy sexual relationship where you don't feel like you can only be sexual if the other person is opening that door and allowing you to be sexual. Like, that's not healthy. Yep. Yeah, buddy. Anyways, any closing remarks? Well, I mean, I don't know. I was just really fired up. Now you want me to say (laughs) bye? We got things to do, people to see. It's like 9 p.m. Yeah, we got to go have sex. (laughs) No. (laughs) What he really means is that we have to play our new Mario game that he bought that he's very excited about. And I guarantee you guys he would rather play that tonight than get down and nasty. That is also true. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll be playing Mario. Um, I don't know. I just feel like I gave you half my life story. So... We appreciate you guys. I'm so glad that you gave us such good questions and I hope this let you into our lives a little bit. But more than that, I hope that it helped you and met you somewhere and helped you with something that you've been struggling with. That's always what we're here for and love to do. But we care about you guys. We love you. This is a no judgment zone. This is a no judgment family. And we are here to share the real Griffin Unfiltered. Hence the name. And this was actually super cool. So if you guys have any follow-up questions, we can totally do a part two. Tell your friends, tell your family, get everybody involved. You want to tell the family about this. Yeah. You want grandma to listen to the podcast about masturbating. Why the hell not? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know anybody else's grandma. Um, I'm going to eat popcorn. I'm super hungry. I'm going to drink my tequila. I'm going to play some Mario. Bye, guys. Later.